According to a new study, people's ears play tricks on them when they drink too much coffee. You know what makes me really sick to my stomach? Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Psychosis, a podcast that has nothing to do with coffee. My name is John. We made it. The big one. Episode 20. What a milestone. If you'd have told me at the start of this venture we'd reach these lofty heights, would anyone believe you? Possibly. Anyone can start a podcast not about coffee. But to record 20 episodes of a podcast not about coffee... I don't know if anyone has ever done that before in all of human history. I know what you're thinking. Listen to him. Gang all grandiose over there. He's been drinking too much coffee. Let me just temper that aspersion for a moment. It's not like I'm saying this is the best podcast of all time. Far from it. It's maybe only in the top five podcasts of all time. And we've given you 20 episodes of that in only a few years. That's all I'm trying to stress. That's an accomplishment we can all share. I need to thank you all for listening. All the people who send nice emails weird emails, God will save my soul emails. You've all been part of this. Mostly though, this podcast wouldn't exist if it weren't for the people who come on here and share their stories. I know I always look forward to hearing what they've got to say, and I can't wait for you to hear what this episode's guest has to say. Simon from Brooklyn. Wow, that was almost a coherent segue. I am here with Simon from Brooklyn, which is in America. New York area, I believe. New York. <laughs> so you're one of the more exotic guests we've had on Coffee yeah. and Psychosis. <laughs> uh, exotic Americans, yes. A- have you had anyone from America on? Not officially, no. I don't think so. You know, I've, I've been listening to, like, this whole podcast through, and I have this, like, weird impulse to, like, speak in a false British accent right now that I have to resist. You can do um, it. That's one of my favorite things in life. What's all this then? Yeah. What's all this then? Um, but no, I, I can't do it with any kind of uh, real fidelity. So I'm just going to, it's just, it's happening like, like my, my thinking voice in my head when I listen to the podcast or just after is like British. I don't like it. <laughs> now I've got the same problem. <laughs> when we spoke before in a little pre-production meeting, uh, you mentioned this mental health tank. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that that is a perfect way to start um, with the sort of like exposure to the American system. I mean, talking about it, like I don't I don't want to make it seem like the system in America is like all bad and the system in the UK is like so much better, right? Because I'm sure it's also fucked up. But um, this is kind of like a, a nice anecdote to start on. Yeah, um, I, I saw from the I think it was the Chicago Police Department a couple months ago. Someone, one of my friends, had shared this image of it was like a tweet that they said, "Oh, you know, we have these new protocols, and and our team." our SWAT team just responded to a mental health call and you saw pictures of like, it was just this nice little suburban quiet little street. 
and there was this technically it's not a tank it's an MRAP but it's like an armored personnel carrier that said something on the side like mental health awareness or some bullshit and this tank full of guys rolled up on this mental health call and you see them all sitting outside on the lawn afterwards like debriefing you know people obviously were reacting to that like why don't you just send some sort of mediator person that doesn't have full army camo um but that's you know that's not really like in the cards always in the way that it's responded to here i don't know like i've had a number of responses to episodes that i've had and episodes that people i know have had that have involved the police never in my opinion for the best i mean there's there's people who think like or who have this attitude that oh you know if someone's in distress like that, you need to have like a firm approach to it, you know, or like some mediator person is not necessarily safe because it's, it's like psychosis makes people feel very unsafe. But I don't know, in my opinion, that's not really helping anybody. Like a lot of people that get killed by police are having mental health crises. And yeah, it's, it's been, it's been weird. Like all of the stuff going on with like or last summer at least uh with police here just a lot of like sort of raw animosity on the streets and i think that has been like very sort of justified it's kind of like lost in the conversation around policing sometimes i think about like defunding the police what does that really mean it means like having other responses to things like mental health issues that like the cops and SWAT teams don't necessarily need to be the first line of response to um, like, just the, the idea there is just mad in itself. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it's mad world. It's like, you know, there's a healthy dollop here of like, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. You know, like, Oh yeah. The the response to this kind of thing is totally disproportionate in a lot of cases. I mean, I don't yeah, I'm not detached from reality. His phrase yes, is things yes, to mind. Exactly. And that's that's part of what makes having these like episodes so so surreal and interesting is just like everything else right now. Like I think I think we can say right now with sort of the state of the world and the pandemic and everything, like everyone is going collectively insane. Like at least I was already there. I feel some comfort in, in that, you know, I don't know how everyone else is dealing with, with this past sort of extended year, but yeah, um, the U S system, my experience of it has been sort of like as a wing of, the like police state almost you know and that that sounds like like crazy person shit like you know oh, not they're, to me they're, no, they're no. out to get me no 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 but like i know it doesn't actually sound crazy but it's like when you're in when you're in the role of like the crazy person and you're like calling this stuff out for what it is you know people don't want to hear that especially not when you're insane they want to like put you somewhere else so they don't have to be afraid you know but yeah, it's not, we don't need more money for mental health tanks, in, in my humble opinion. Um, or, or at least if we do, like, give them the actual, like, M1 Abrams. Give them, like, a real tank and let them just, like, blow this shit up. Because, you know, this is not helping anybody.
it seems like such a caricature of how not yeah. to respond to people. No, absolutely. I mean, I was really, I think it's the third episode of this podcast. I mean, I, I discovered this earlier this summer um, and it was really helpful for me just like listening through the whole thing. I feel like there's not a lot out there uh, about this kind of thing that is sort of, I mean, on one, on one hand, there's a lot of like really clinical stuff. And on the other hand, there's a lot of really like woo woo stuff. <laughs> and it, what do you mean by woo woo? <laughs> do you mean like sweet like, and tender and saccharine? No, like, like new agey shit. Like, you know, Ooh. oh, like oh, alternate like realities crystals. and crystals and, you know, yeah, yeah crystals. Exactly. Um, at different times I have like sort of explored each different camp and approach yeah. to this. Like there have been times where I've sort of over, over related to the like diagnostic label. There have been times where I've like thought I was a wizard. Um, <laughs> and it, I think it's good to have like a healthy sort of middle place to just talk about stuff like this um yeah. but yeah no I, I i was i was struck by like the third episode i think i forget her name. it was like sophie or someone sophia, um, yeah. sophia yeah she was just sort of talking about going to the woods in a cabin with her family and everything and and that's like when i've talked to my folks and my friends about sort of what ideally i would like to happen it's basically <laughs> like that like i would yeah. like to just be sort of sequestered away in a mental health like, tank yeah and i would like to <laughs> ride around in the mental health tank yeah while psychotic um just plowing into everything sort of gta style that's what uh, i do <laughs> yeah that that is pretty much what they do but i was kind of just i was taken aback by listening to that episode because that's just so unlike any response that i've sort of seen be possible and you know i'll get into this in like my own tale but in the most recent episode i had my parents sort of did that in like the extent that you can in new york city which god bless them honestly like i do think that it's important to like move towards something like that where where people who are having this happen to them actually like have some input in what happens obviously that is not really the case signed a lot of paperwork while i was on intense psychiatric drugs and i don't think that's like ethical really um <laughs> but yeah i mean i I, I guess i was just sort of like touched by that that story because it's possible sort of you know and also before i get into it i just want to like dispel any pretense that i have any idea what i'm talking about like <laughs> because i'll do if, it at the same like, time if, you yeah, can say it for no, me as well <laughs> yeah I, i'm speaking for both of us here if there's one thing that like having psychosis has taught me it's that things are like very dependent on perspective and they're not really like ontologically real all the time things that you experience you know so like like what what psychosis is has sort of like 
differed a lot between, you know, when I was actually experiencing it immediately after experiencing it now, how I think about it, you know, how it was to other people in my life. Like it's all, it's all a lot of different perspectives and like, I don't know, I don't know which one is like the right one, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, what, what do you think? Like, cause often I end up asking people, uh, like, why do you think this happens? And then more, right. I think now, like, is that even a relevant question or like, why is there this obsession to understand why when there's more important things to sort out? Yeah, that's no, that's a really good point. Like people, I think in the sort of medicalization of all of this, right? Like the sort of diagnostic approach to it, there is, there is a tendency to like need to find an answer to like mm. why this happened. And, you know, that even goes beyond the approach to it purely from like a pharmacological one, like it, like needing to put a, put a meaning or like a reason down for it goes beyond saying like, oh, there's like a chemical imbalance. It's like, oh, well, you know, you had a rough childhood or like, oh, you did a bunch of drugs or whatever. Like people, people want to like have a reason for it. Um, and I think to an extent it like could kind of, I don't know, like, I feel like we're all sort of on this like spectrum of psychosis all the time like you know yeah didn't you say to me before there's like a sweet spot there's a sweet spot exactly i mean this is forgive me if i like reference you know movies and shit a lot you're forgiven you you know you know you know waking life right i don't know that one now that i said that yeah yeah it's great you you'd like it i think there's a great part in it where one of the characters is like to remember is a much more psychotic act than to forget. And I, I just oh, feel yeah, like yeah. this whole sort of like psychosis is the way people think about it. It's like this sort of dichotomy, like you're crazy or you're not crazy, but it kind of seems to me like there's sort of a mass psychosis going on in a lot of ways, like to, to have any sort of real impulse to do anything and like affect the world. I don't know. You, you have to like have your own sort of notions and your own like healthy delusions almost, you know, to do just about anything. And psychosis is like when that just goes way too far or just explodes. Um, maybe certain people are like more predisposed to that, but I'm not, I'm less interested in like, why that happens to certain people because you know the reason people approach it that way is they want to like explain it away sort of like this is like an anomaly you know want to feel safe about it right they want to feel like it's something under control yeah that's the word yeah that's the operative word control yeah yeah. i mean but I, i just sort of see it as like part of this broader um just this like psychological condition that we're all in, you know, and it's like, I just sort of explode because of it. Um, but some people like go on to be politicians and that's even worse, you know, like yeah, that's the most grandiose thing you can do. <laughs> like I think a lot of it, a lot of just like this sort of latent 
thing behind at least how I've experienced what has happened is like this sort of grandiose desire to like affect the world somehow when I feel like I can't. That's a really good way to put it. I'm sure I've said this maybe on every single episode of this podcast, but it's it's like I know I felt it. it's like um I felt really powerless and it's like my brain yeah. is or mind or body is just giving me a way to feel powerful. Right. Right. I think you said it better. Yeah, well, it's like the the mind like it it searches for solutions to its problems and if it can't yeah. find them it's going to think it has. But yeah, so I'll just like start with the the story, I guess, and sort of ramble from there. Yeah, um, sounds good, and I'll interrupt you. Yeah, absolutely. When you're Please about do. to say something really Inter- profound. Yes, interrupt me as much as possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was, I had like a pretty normal life, I guess, like before all this happened. Um, I was going to school, like going to college, and. Um, I don't know. I got like really depressed at one point. Like I uh, like couldn't get out of bed depressed. And this sort of happened after like this, this sort of weird, I don't know, just, yeah, just shit in life happened. And um, I don't know. I, I'm like, I, I dispute this impulse to myself. I dispute it to like go back in, in time from before being diagnosed to like look for things that might have like, I mean, this is what we were just talking about, about like wanting to give it a reason, right? You know, like sliding doors moments where you could have turned a different way in life or right, sort of, or or just like, you know, reasons that I was always this way sort of thing, you know, Like, like clues. Clues, you know, yeah. I mean, when I was when I was growing up, I I had this close friend who's kind of an asshole now. Um, <laughs> but he, he's my asshole, you know. Everyone has yeah. one. You need it. I'm that um, person for a lot of people. Nice. No, I love it. I love it. Um, I tend to have a lot of those people in my life, but I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> um, but no, I, I had this one friend. He would always like call me moody. You know, I would get into these little funks. But it's like. It is, it's interesting how, you know, once you have a diagnosis, you get, you put this microscope on your whole life and you think like, you try to make sense of it and try to make it like relate to your life. And so I don't really always think that's like relevant all the time, you know, but I, but I do have this impulse to like give exposition as like, oh, I was depressed for a while, but yeah, so eventually uh, I think it was sophomore year. I was living in a house, like a row house in Baltimore with five other guys. That got pretty out of hand pretty fast. A lot of smoking weed, like all the time. I guess, there, yeah, there was like, there was a lot of drugs, but I, I kept it sort of just to like weed and I did LSD a fair amount. But I was never like, you know doing coke and bouncing off the walls. I don't know why I feel the need to, like, <laughs> frame it this way. There's a hierarchy, but, isn't there? Like, people get yeah, judgmental uh, about drugs for some yeah, reason. Yeah, exactly. People do. But it was it was really, like, just trying to sort of, like, numb things and escape a bit. It, but I've never, I've never been, like, a party-party kind of guy. Like, um, 
you know, it was mostly just like, yeah, just smoking weed, like pretty normal. And I had an acid phase with my, my other friend. We would trip like on the weekends every once in a while. And this was all sophomore year. Um, by the end of sophomore year, though, I I stopped doing acid because I just sort of felt like I had gotten everything out of it. Like, had a couple really great experiences, one not so great one, but I just sort of felt like, oh, I'm done with this, I'm over it. Um, and then over the summer, that summer, I got a new job. Um, or maybe this was junior year at this point. I... I got a new job um, through this like community internships thing at my school where basically it was like they were trying to encourage students at this university to stay in Baltimore over the summer and do like community work. And I was really, I was like interested in going into education at the time. I was studying public health. Um, and so I was just like broadly interested in sort of social justice work, I guess you would call it. And I was going to be working in East Baltimore. And, you know, obviously, for better or worse, but I think to some extent accurately, um, Baltimore has a reputation for, like, from The Wire and, and shit <sighs> like that. For I was going to wait for you like, to make that reference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I had this one, yeah, no, I, I had this one class, actually, with the former health commissioner for Baltimore. He just, like, framed the whole thing through the wire. It was pretty cool. But, yeah, I mean, it, it has a reputation for, like, poverty and, and drugs. And, and you know, that's very real, while at the same time, like, it's a beautiful city, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so I was going to be, like, working in close proximity with, and this wasn't the first time I had done this kind of stuff, like, but I was going to be working with, like, you know, quote-unquote, at-risk youth, you know, dun-dun-dun. Yeah. yeah, we have the same and term here. Yeah, that's what they... We have at-risk mental state. Yeah, people are yeah. very, liberals are, are very interested in categorizing risk, you know, and, like, oh, yeah. codifying levels of risk. Um. But anyways, so going to be doing that kind of thing. And I just, I don't know, during the like orientation to this whole program, um, there was a, there was a underlying current of like sort of mindfulness stuff. Like as, as part of this whole, like we did this whole like woke identity training thing. And then as part of that, there was all of this mindfulness stuff. And I, I was that really got me thinking, like, who am I to be going into East Baltimore to, like, help people? Because I'm kind of on drugs all the time. And I'm just, like, not, I'm not a mindful, or at least I was not at the time, like, a, a mindful person in any sense. Like, <laughs> I like the way <laughs> you say mindful with a, a degree of disdain. Yeah, I mean, it, I, there is a degree of disdain because there's this very sort of like sanitized idea of what mindfulness is, you know, at the same time though, it was kind of helpful to have a reason to think about like, or a framework for thinking about, Oh, you know, I could be 
a better person to myself because I can't really like help other people like I, like I want to, or like I've been told I want to, um, if I don't sort of fill my own cup a little bit better and not fill it with beer. Um, so that just got me like, it was a, it was a very, it was a very interesting couple of weeks. I was just kind of like thinking about my life a little differently and I decided I was going to get entirely sober. Um, and I did that overnight, like just, I, I think I had been smoking weed pretty much every day and, um, not really drinking so much, but, but still that was part of it. I mean, um, and yeah, I just got entirely sober. I decided to go to AA, um, because my, my friend recommended my, my friend from the one who would always call me Moody when I was little, he's in AA or at least he was. And so he was like, you should go to AA and not NA because NA in Baltimore is going to be scary. Um, so I went to AA and I don't know, it was just over the, over the course of this whole, it's, it's hard to really do it chronologically, right? Because like, I remember all of it, but it, it sort of is, is all one weird cloud of stuff that happened. Um, I, I went to AA and like, this was, I guess, at the point in the episode where I was just like, I had a lot to say. I was talking really fast, but I was still really coherent and like charismatic. They, I was, it was my first meeting at AA and they called me up and they were like, you know, called me up to speak. So I did. And I must've spoken for like 20 minutes, which is not really what you're supposed to do. But I, I felt this like magnetic pull towards it. Like, like people were, and people were receptive to what I was saying afterwards like after the meeting, people were coming up to me and like telling me that they loved my message. And this one guy like asked to live in my basement. And then this other woman was like, she was like, are you Swedish? And I was like, yeah, how, how did you know? I mean, my family is, I'm not like from Sweden or anything, but I was like, yeah, how'd you know that? And she was like, oh, you just have this affect. And so this was like, during this early part of the episode, you can kind of like look back and see where it was creeping in, like where the things that you end up sort of fixating on, like start to start to come in. Um, but it felt, it felt very like sort of, there was an immediacy to all of it that felt very profound. Um, and then after that, they, the, they asked me to lead the next meeting to like start it. Whoa. And yeah, and that was straight away. Yeah. I got a promotion straight away, which uh, I don't know. Apparently I, I was talking to my other friend who's sober and he was like, yeah, they're not supposed to do that, but, um, they changed but the rules for better. For yeah. For better or worse. Um, I did end up leading that next meeting and I talked again for like 30 minutes um, and I was still really like really coherent. I just had a lot to say. The stuff that I was talking about was like very sort of existential 
bullshit, you know, like I was talking about making sets in the theater as like a metaphor for creation. And then like you do strike and it all gets taken down. You know, that's just one thing I remember, but, um, I don't know. It, it was just like this flow was happening. Like I was sort of channeling something almost. Yeah. And then you get put literally like on a pedestal up at like the pulpit at AA. Cause th there was one meeting I went to that was like a circle, but the first one was like, literally there's a, there's a uh, podium. I, I, I was starting to have this sort of delusional idea that like, this was an underground church of like, of all the people who like really understood reality kind of. Um, and I was like, a, like a, a mouthpiece or like a prophet or whatever. Um, it was, it was really wild. Like, um, at the same time, again, I, it's sort of hard to put this all chronologically, but like, yeah, don't feel like you have to. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the AA stuff, like it, it introduced this sort of higher power idea into all of it. Um, and the new place that I was working is this place called the intersection, which it was not explicit. It was, it was explicitly secular, but like the woman who ran the organization, she was like a former divinity minister and or she mastered in divinity or something. Um, and it kind of had this whole liberation theology approach to everything. And it, it was like, it was not, lost on me that like this whole idea of the intersection is kind of like a crucifix cross thing. And there was one point when I was starting to just have a lot to say and like ramble on at people. There was this one guy in the program who was talking about how it was like some orientation icebreaker question, like, Oh, where would you go in time back in time if you could? And he was like, I would go back to, when Jesus was around to like, see if that was real. Um, and then I was telling him like, Oh, you know, a while ago. And I, this, this really did happen. This was like a couple months before this episode. I saw these two like chemtrail things like the, the jets leave behind. I don't believe in that kind of stuff, but you know, like chemtrails, I saw these two chemtrails intersect in the sky and it just looked like it was just a beautiful crystal blue sky. And I just, I, I thought that was like a sign even before that was before any of this had happened to me, like psychotically, it was just sort of profound. And then later on my balcony in Baltimore, there was this like sunset and this like sunset, like right over DC kind of, um, in that direction. And there was, there were these clouds and it just looked like this huge red mushroom cloud. And it, it kind of like this sort of vision thing, like worked its yeah. way into my psychosis. Like, it's like an omen. Yeah. Or like, like an omen or like the stand or something. Like if you've read that, Kind of oh, no, like, you know, you got to read that, man. Like the forces of good and evil are are coalescing for the final apocalyptic battle. Oh, okay. you know, that was that was kind of like it worked its way in there. Um, I don't know. I think I think it was 
you on on one of the previous episodes described psychosis as like a personal apocalypse. I've also been sort of thinking about it that way for a long time, both in the sense of like like apocalypse, what people think of, just like sort of being taken from the world you know and plunged into chaos and then, mm. you know. The but veil. then also in the in the <laughs> biblical sense of the veil, yes, of yeah. like something unseen. And then like once once that veil has been lifted, once you like see those edges to everything, it becomes very hard to like let that go, kind of. Um But so but so anyways, there was this whole like messianic thing happening to me where like I thought I was channeling something. There were like there were like sort of this synchronicity of like we're at the intersection you know it wasn't i never got to a point where i literally thought i was jesus like jesus jesus but it was almost like the same kind of christ-like figure but yeah so i don't know i i think during this this period people in my life were mostly like not really concerned and like happy for me. I mean, I, I wasn't explicitly like going around telling people that I was a Messiah. I was just like really happy, like way more outgoing, charismatic. Like I thought I had finally unlocked something in my mind that had been so like depressed for the longest time. I thought I had unlocked something that like, oh, I'm happy now. And this is like where everyone else operates most of the time that has sort of eluded me. Um, yeah. And I, I remember just like, I went to this comedy show with some, some like new people that I had met. And I just remember absolutely like splitting open with laughter in a way that I hadn't ever really experienced. Like just pure, euphoria like I could feel it in my body of just love and happiness was just like all right there in that room and <laughs> that's when yeah. they the mental health tank yeah that's <laughs> that's when it that's when it that's when it's dangerous we can't have that but no I wasn't even really being being really weird yet but yeah there was there was a point during all of this where because I, I felt that like sense of love and connection with everybody uh, and everything, it was like sort of a oneness almost. I sort of thought and, and declared that I was gay or, or like bisexual or something. Like I thought that, I thought that maybe what was happening was like, I was, I was like coming into myself more, you know, and like yeah. achieving this happiness. And then like, maybe that has to do with my sexuality. Um, and how old are you at this point? At this point I was 20. Yeah, so it's like um, a time where people are like, oh, I've found myself or like, oh, yeah, right. I've grown yeah. up. But like, there's a yeah, lot of that I, happening, isn't it? I mean, I, I really just thought that was what it was. Like, I got sober. Everyone that was close to me was like really supportive of that. You know, I'm feeling good. I'm I'm acting more outgoing, more more happy and more like free and whatnot. And so everyone, I think, was was really sort of unfazed for a while and then i don't know there there's sort of like a a a number of of steps that that seem to like be in common in all of the episodes that i've had where there's like there's this point where 
I set out in the middle of the night on a quest. It's kind of fuzzy, like, between this period where I'm just sort of, like, more outgoing and this point where I, like, totally start to lose grip of consensus reality. But, like, at one point I just remember I had this friend who made films and I was going to go out into the park. We lived, like, right near this this huge park. And I was going to go out into the park in the middle of the night and, like, LARP. You know, LARPing? Yeah. Yeah. Give a quick description for people don't mind not. Yeah, live action role play. Um, so I had I had at some point created this like alter ego persona um, that was like loosely based on my D and D character, and I was just I was this was when I was starting to sort of like I'm feeling good. I thought I had unlocked this new thing, so I'm like probing at the edges of society and reality so i was like i'm just gonna go out in the middle of the night and be this wizard and then see what happens and my friend was totally totally in with it and he just came with me to like film the whole thing i don't think he still has that footage but um i was like starting to go feral at this point like i was just approaching and like talking to random people like really kind of freaking them out at one point, I was like, I had this really imminent feeling that I was like following a path that like things were linked in such a way that like I was where I was at the exact right time, mm-hmm. like following the right steps. And you're just joining the docks kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like just sort of following these scent trails. And I remember going outside of this art museum and there was this huge door, this huge circular door. It kind of looked like one of the Hobbit doors from Lord of the Rings, which also looks kind of like the Eye of Sauron on on some level. So it was like this... I haven't joined that door. Yeah, it was like this this like cosmic symbolism of this like circular eye door portal thing. And like the way that when you're like that, the way your brain is like making connections with things like that, it's always like very deep and significant, at least in my experience. So it was like, I thought, you know, because I I was like at this eye door portal thing, it was like, Oh yes, you know, God or, or some higher power or whatever is communicating to me that like, yes, I'm, I'm on the edge of a threshold of like perception and awareness that I am like, preparing to step through you know yeah so i was starting to like really go feral i went back home at some point my friend left i think probably because i was being really weird um can i just say before we go any further i'm I'm a little jealous that you had the friend to record you on camera i I, I had to record myself on camera that's right (laughs) you're on another level you've done me it's probably for the best you know that this footage is i mean you you at least still have the footage right yeah i you know on on that note i thought it was funny like when we were emailing or maybe the first time we talked when you were talking about like recording an episode because like that's kind of what we both already did like recorded an episode i have started using the term episode more because the podcast episodes it's like a funny pun to make Plus, it's like, you know, episode one, The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Like, there's there's always, like, I don't know, it, it being episodic is at least kind of, you can sort of characterize the, 
this, this, it makes it like a story, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which but that's not how of, they originally meant it, is it? Right. No, it's it's supposed to be like a, a fluke, kind of, you know? But Yeah. But it, thinking about it as an episode, to me, is kind of interesting, because it's like, yeah, there's always kind of content to it. There's always something that you're trying to communicate, at least in my experience of it yeah it's a story um, and it's ironic yeah. that medicine chose to use the word episode when it's like that's that's the word for storytellers we're gonna take right. that back <laughs> yeah and so so storytelling that's like i don't know i i want to like get back to that but um I'm, i know i'm gonna like lose my train of thought if i don't you know switch tracks <laughs> But yeah, so my friend left. I came back to the house and I don't really remember what, like a lot of what was happening. But at some point earlier on before this like nighttime quest, I think maybe it was like the day before, I was really starting to freak out my girlfriend at the time and my father. With my dad, I I remember I was talking to him on the phone and I was like, I was confused as to like why he wasn't happy for me. He was like, it's like talking to a different person. Something seems off. But I was telling him like, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, like we're all like, I'm God (laughs) is what I told him. And I was trying to, I was trying to say like, I'm God. And we're also all God. Like we're all God just like together sort of. But he really freaked out before I could even finish by saying like, we're, we're all like, I'm God and we're all God. He started just like screaming, like crying into the phone, like, no, 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 no. And that, that really like stuck with me, that memory at another point too, in the same sort of phase, I was talking to my girlfriend at the time and she just got really upset by what I was saying. I don't know, she was a very, like, rigid, like, rational scientific person, and I was suddenly talking about, like, metaphysical bullshit and and God and whatnot, and, like, that really freaked her out, I think, and she just sort of, like, took off, just for her own sake, I don't blame her, but there was a point where she was, like, I I guess just reached a threshold and, and couldn't deal with it. Um, but that was, like, I was totally unfazed by that, it's like, oh yeah, that's part of the plan, like... I've got to, like, freak people out, kind of. That means I'm, like, doing the right thing, sort of. But she had left, and and I got back to the apartment, and my friends sort of had a little intervention. They were like, you're really starting to concern us. Oh, you've got really mature friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we I, I would call us anything but mature at the time, but but they, like, they all sort of stopped me on my way up to my room, and they were like, we're we're worried about you, you know? And they said, this is kind of reminding us of what happened to so-and-so. And And I'm not going to say his name, but I I should have prefaced this whole thing with this aspect of the story. It kind of relates to like the MRAP, the mental health tank. But I had a friend the year prior who was living with us who had a very similar sort of brush with psychosis. And this was before we even really like had that kind of language for it. I don't really want to like divulge too much because it's not really like my story. And I I think, Mm -hmm. in a in a way that's different from 
from my experience of all of this, he has sort of like moved as far away from it as possible, like in his life. And so I won't really get into the details of it, but the first brush that I ever had with the mental health system was I was in my room late at night, like about to go to sleep. And I got a knock on the door saying like, police open up. I had no idea what was going on, but I, I went outside. Uh, I, I like, I opened the door and there's a police officer and he tells me we have to leave the house now. And I was like, what the hell is going on? He didn't really explain, but I had, it was a three story house and I was on the top floor and I was taken out of my room and escorted out. And on every single stair, like I'm not even exaggerating at all really with this, like every single space on the staircase that could be filled had a police officer. We were right across from the police precinct. So it was almost as if like they didn't have anything better to do that night. And they just decided to all come to our house but every single stair, there was a police officer. There was a, a man who looked kind of like a detective outside of my friend's room with a taser who was like, you need to come out. You know, we're here to help. Yeah, we're here to help. But right next to me is a guy with a riot shield and an assault weapon. There was literally, there was a guy with full army camo and an AR-15 in my house. And I was... I was so freaked out and pissed off by that. I had no idea that anything was happening at all to my roommate, but we got escorted out. They had the whole block was lit up with just police sirens, police trucks. There was a fire department. There was the ambulance. This, we waited outside in the cold for like three hours. It felt like, and I think it was actually, it was a couple hours. And eventually, like with all of that force that they mustered to deal with this one kid who locked himself in his room, with all of that force, it took them several hours to get him out of there. They took him away. They didn't take him away in an ambulance. They took him away in handcuffs. We had no idea where he was. It was really distressing and it was not, it was not helpful. I mean, I remember talking to one of the police officers on the porch afterwards. He was being kind of like blasé about the whole thing. And I was just like, this is like my friend. This is our home. You're being an asshole. Um, but they had this total like, like they had taken some stuff from his room and they were like dancing around with it almost like trophies. Like, you know, they're all armed. Like, why is this the response? Why is there a guy with an assault weapon in my house? So basically they, my friend's, you know, back to like me having my episode, they were like, this is reminding us of, of our other friend who this happened to. Um, and they were obviously very concerned because of like how that had ended up. I think at some point I just, I made the promise to just like go to bed. I'm just going to go to my room and like calm down kind of. Were you not sleeping much at a time then or? No, no. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I even registered that I wasn't sleeping, but yeah as part of like unlocking this new perspective or this new like consciousness in my mind, I started to think like, Oh, I don't have to sleep. Like sleeping is like the demiurge, you know, like people yeah. sleep and that deadens them. But actually what you need to do is not sleep. And yeah. then you're like more functional, you know, and this is, and I was thinking like, this is what really, successful and high profile people are doing and it's like a secret 
but not everyone knows about it. You have to like not sleep and like, you know what I mean? It was, it was sort of like conspiratorial in a way. Like I'm going to pretend to sleep because that's what people do. They pretend to sleep. And then while they're doing that, they're actually like doing things with their mind kind of. So I, I went and I like pretended to sleep, but then at some point when I was in my room at this point, I like fully just became what they would call delusional, like fully had very like fixed delusional beliefs. I, this was right around the time that there was going to be a eclipse right around the solstice. Right. I don't know if you remember a couple summers ago when it was, was when Donald Trump looked directly at the sun. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah that was brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, <laughs> I, so I thought, and the, I don't know where this, when this entered my mind, but I remember thinking about it first when I was like in my room at this point, the, when the solstice came, what was going to happen was me and all of my friends, like six people that I selected would have to be under the, under the path of the eclipse in the blue mountains in Kentucky. And if we were directly under the path of the eclipse, then aliens who were like the higher consciousness, like, like for me with the whole AA, like higher power thing that like became not really God in like the Christian biblical way, but like aliens, like some sort of omnipotent consciousness, but that was, that was ultimately benevolent. Like, they were going to come, and if we were right under the path of the eclipse, they would, like, suck our consciousness out, and we would probably, like, die, kind of like Heaven's Gate style, but we would, like, ascend into the stars to live forever and, like, explore space in these giant spherical spaceships. So that was, like, what I suddenly believed, and you I did start, you made me wonder there if I was I'd found the, the the only remaining survivor of the Heaven's Gate. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is like I, sometimes I, I joke like, oh, I need to start a cult, you know? Yeah, that's what um, I did. Yeah, I tried doing yeah. that. Yeah, you tried. You tried. How, yeah, how did yeah. that go? No, well, yeah, that's how I no. started. This pod- <laughs> I ended up starting this podcast instead. Yeah, this is a a better like a cult of artists. Of yeah. I didn't think of it as a cult at the time, but looking back, that is pretty much what I was trying to do, yeah. Like a commune almost. But that's the thing is like these aliens, they're kind of like a bit communist, I think. Like, have you seen yeah. Star Trek? A little bit, yeah. You know, I, I haven't even really watched much of it, but it was always on when I was a kid. And I've apparently like in Star Trek, basically humanity has to like go through the Third World War or something until finally aliens can like reveal themselves because humans are finally ready to like be part of a intergalactic community, something like that. And so, so basically it was like the aliens wanted, the aliens were like going to use me as a conduit for bringing about like world revolution, almost like bringing about sort of this new way of, of like, living in harmony with each other kind of thing, you know? Yeah, so they're kind of like communist aliens. Anyways, I just, yeah, I, I, I had this, like, belief that this eclipse was going to do this thing, and then I thought, interfacing with my phone, I thought that 
my phone was like interacting with my mind in this weird way. Like I heard, I, I was trying to do something like call someone and I just heard this weird like static, but I don't know if I, if I hallucinated this or not, but I heard this, like these like voices, like disembodied sort of alien voices in the static, like, and then I thought that like, I had to put people I had to do specific things with my phone to like message the aliens and let them know that who I was going to take with me in the eclipse kind of thing. It was bizarre. Like a code. Like a code. Yeah. It was like, it was like the, through the phone, that was the way of interacting with the aliens. And, and there was like, yeah, a sort of a coded way that I was interacting with them digitally and this is kind of a theme in all of the episodes that I've had. There's always a point where, like, it becomes very public and, and, like, through social media and whatnot. I stayed up all night that night, and I, I, I had this, like, fixation that I was going to show up at work at exactly 7.20 a.m. Um, with this, like, portfolio of the plan, kind of. So I stayed up all night, like, writing out the great plan, and I took, I, I have so many books. I, I, I don't know if I have any around me, but I have so many books that I've ripped the cover off of. And I put them all in this folder and I was going to show this to my boss. Like, like, this is like a capture of my consciousness, sort of. Um, so, yeah, I, I was going to arrive at, ex at exactly 7.20. I went on Facebook right before I was going to bike to work. And I just started posting all of this bizarre shit. I've since gone back and deleted a lot of it, but some of it was like really sort of offensive out of context. Like I posted a picture of uh, Auschwitz with the the gate that says Arbeit macht frei, like work mm -hmm. will set you free. Yeah. And I captioned it like, have fun at work today, everybody. <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah, it, and, and it's like in bad taste, I guess. Looking back, but yeah, yeah. I think it was. It's not I the was worst thing to, I ever had, but yeah, no, it's probably important. I'm I'm giving you that example in particular because there were a lot worse things, but um, just kind of as yeah. I mean, you said you went through all that and deleted stuff. Yeah, but that's a hard um, thing to like confront in a way, right? Yeah really really hard and i think the the most difficult part of all of this is like the shame and embarrassment and guilt afterwards because every single episode i've had has had a very like public social media component and i'm not even active on social media it's just like and that makes me feel as if you know people who i knew who are like acquaintances only like know me as this crazy person because i only get on facebook when i'm like insane so yeah it it's really hard going back and deleting it like i can't not read the things that i wrote you know they all sort of like make some sense to me but also like i'm sure no sense whatsoever mm -hmm. to other people it gets lost between like you have those layers yeah. of meaning don't you and it yeah. just gets lost behind them people can't see it right and even and even you know myself like stepping out of the episode a bit you know that that meaning is like you you still see the residue of it but you, but it's not really as as profound as it was when you were spewing it out 
But it ultimately kind of just feels like I took an ice cream scoop and scooped out my brain and just like plopped it right on the table where everyone is eating and said like, here, look at all of it. This is just airing dirty laundry out in public. And it's so embarrassing afterwards, like cleaning that up for better or worse. Like recently in life, I've just been feeling like I need to be as small as possible, like just I don't want to be seen by anybody. Like, I'm not talking about friends. I'm talking about, like, I don't want to be observed by anyone that I don't, like, trust in a way, just because, like, it's been so embarrassing and, like, I've been so loud in a very sort of self-sabotaging way that, like, my impulse is to just sort of, like, deaden myself and not exist fully like not express myself not say anything publicly that isn't like you know what i mean i I just i have to like check myself in this way that i don't think is really healthy you know yeah Um, i think i've done similar it just it just comes from that place of like shame and embarrassment and not really feeling like able to make myself understood around yeah, and Those like the things. fear of that sort of happening again, I suppose, as well. Yeah. Like, there's a bit of that. Like, like we were saying earlier, like, there's sort of a, a threshold of, of like mania or whatever that you, that you need to like accomplish or do anything, you know, in a yeah. way. And my response to like having issues with that is just to totally sort of shut myself down in a way that is not, it's not good, you know, it's like, I don't feel like I, and in time, no, I'm not talking about all the time, but like phases after episodes where I've just been really, really depressed. Like I just want to sort of not do anything, like not, not affect the world at all. Like don't say anything, don't create anything, you know, um, just because it all feels so dangerous to like open that valve at all you know yeah it's a really like sad thing i think a lot of people go through that sort of phase or I've, i don't feel like i've ever fully gone out of it in a way that I used to dye my hair like green and stuff and <laughs> just things like that like i used to be much more enthusiastic not that enthusiastic but i used to have less fear about showing enthusiasm or right. talking fast that's 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 it. That's exactly it. Enthusiasm is like I'm I'm afraid to be enthusiastic about life and to like express that. I'm afraid I'm frankly like afraid of being happy these days. Like still even now that I'm not I'm not quite still in the like funk afterwards, but um I'm still like, you know, I'll have a couple days where I feel really good and I feel like I'm I'm flowing a bit more, you know, I have things to say. And then I, I immediately think like, can I trust that? You know, cause every, every other time it feels like, you know, I have, I've had reasons where like, or I've had situations where like my mind has betrayed me, you know, but yeah. So going back afterwards was really rough, but yeah, I posted a bunch of shit on Facebook I had going to, I was going to go to work at 7.20 a.m. And I had this whole elaborate outfit. I was wearing like gym shorts 
and a ratty t-shirt. And I took the cord from my MacBook and I wrapped it around my neck. Not in like a suicide way, but like, you know, those sort of uh, indigenous cultures. And I think there's like in Africa and Asia where they have the neck rings kind of. It was kind of like I was trying to evoke that. But it was kind of like we're all indigenous to like the digital sphere now, oh, like because it's hot. like the yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of your like hamburgers and CD cases. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> that film I had that's a rebellion yeah. against like cinema because I was going yeah. crazy at film school. <laughs> right. Well, but but similar like similar idea of just like yeah, you yeah. know metaphor is no longer is no longer this like thing reserved for art. It's like, yeah. it just becomes, I'm going to like be metaphorical in my life. So yeah, I, I had this whole outfit, but that was the part of it that I remember the most was this like neck thing. And I got this sign that I had found down the street. It was like a, a for rent sign for a building. And I, I taped that to my back Cause like I was going to work and it was like, these are like communist aliens talking to yeah. me. So it's like, you're renting out your body and your labor and whatnot. And that was like, so profound to me at the time. Yeah. And then like, you could go like, you're being choked by Apple or something as right, well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I'm not going to say that. I mean, this is, it's absolutely just like crazy person shit when you look at it. Right. But there's, there's like meaning to all of it. Oh yeah. You know, there's elements I, of performance art. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's exactly it. And I had I had a girlfriend once tell me she was like into performance art and shit. And I was telling her about my psychoses and she was like, you know, if you just did that more intentionally with an audience, you could just be an artist. And I'm like, that defeats the whole fucking point because the yeah. whole point is to like be disruptive. The whole point is like when you're in that place, like the boundaries between art and reality don't exist, you know, like everything is inherently like art sort of manifesting all the time. But I I just, I found that so amusing that like performance art comparison, because it's like, yeah, that's kind of what it is. It's just, it gets to a point where you get taken to crazy jail. Um, Rather than the after party uh, when they're all having right, like, right. snacks and champagne. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I showed up to work like this, just totally, totally out of it. Um, I, I was like, I really wanted to talk to one specific coworker who I thought was in on it. And I thought if I showed her the plan that I had made in this book, if I showed it to her, she would like understand and, and it would sort of progress. But yeah, I was, I I showed up like early to work at 720 and then I was doing weird shit for a while. I was like literally directing traffic for a while. I started, this was kind of part of like the whole digital consciousness Facebook thing. I started tearing out pages from my notebook and drawing thumbs up on it, like likes. And I was just walking around to people on the street, like giving it to them. Like, I like you here, you know, here's a like kind of thing. I'm sure I've seen that video on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> there was this one guy that got really like aggressive about it, but I was probably being really aggressive. So I don't know. 
I'm really glad that nobody called the cops, though, at that point. But this is, like, par for the course in East Baltimore, you know? Like, you know, there's, like, plenty of just plenty of psychosis going on. And, uh, yeah, and I don't, yeah, I don't mean that in, like, in, whatever. I'm just going to shut up. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, um, not totally out of the ordinary for, like, that specific area. Definitely weird for it to be, like, a little white kid wandering around talking to people that aren't there but so it was it was definitely out of place you know I by the time my coworkers came they knew immediately something was wrong they sat me down in the conference room and they were like trying to get me to calm down they were like what do you do you want to eat something we have food you know and they gave me a couple options one of which was cake and I was like cake obviously because like I'm like the king of like reality right now and that sort of re it's like weird how that stuff happens because that sort of like reinforced it for me it's like oh i've unlocked this new world where i get to eat cake for breakfast so they're giving me cake yeah <laughs> it's just kind of surreal and then they called the like campus mental health people i got picked up and taken to the mental health center for like triage sort of like this was this wasn't at a hospital this was like the campus center and i thought that this was like all part of the plan kind of like like the aliens they weren't like talking to me in my head but it's kind of like a disembodied like communication between my mind and like something else but so the aliens as i had come to understand them they were like telling me you know you have to like go through this you know you, you have to like go with them and that this is like the next step of the journey sort of and i thought that the mental health place was like an alien intake center like to go to the intergalactic world all of the buttons on the elevator didn't look right there i was like hallucinating on the buttons like some of them were going up and down. And I mean, they, I probably wasn't even hallucinating. I was just like putting it together in this weird way. It looked like mm -hmm. sort of interdimensional commands to this like elevator. And I got taken up, up to like the mental health center. The vibes there are very like placid and, and like calm and it smells yeah. nice. And, and so I kind of thought like, Oh, it's like getting less chaotic. Like I'm on the right track. This is good. You know, it felt like, like they they make those places feel very sort of serene and and different than the outside world, you know. So I I thought like it, it reinforced this idea that I was like in a different place, you know. And yeah. I talked to did this whole like intake survey, which I don't think I answered accurately at all because like it was all like on a scale of one to ten, and I'm pretty sure I was just like putting in numbers as like some kind of code and all the answers. I thought that the the psychologist, psychiatrist person who was talking to me, I thought that she was an alien in, like, a human suit, but, like, a vaguely human suit. Like, they were starting, like, people were starting to reveal themselves as aliens because she was kind of, like, weird-looking, I'm going to be honest. Um, but maybe... I don't know. I think it was also, like, people's faces and their affect... I was like not registering the same way as I normally would, you know, like, like she was, you know, I, I thought she was sort of like hyper alert in this way. 
And she probably was because I'm just like being insane in front of her. And, you know, that's like kind of alarming to people. But I thought like in seeing that in her face that it was like, oh, she's aware. She's like perceiving this thing that I am communicating sort of. From there, got taken to the psych ward ER, which is where it suddenly like got really bad. Um, it was not fun anymore. Yeah, got to the psych ward, the psych ER. This is not inpatient yet. This is like where they sort of triage you. And I kind of, I was still really sort of having these delusions about the aliens. So I, I kind of knew it would be hard, like, but I thought it was a test sort of like, I got taken once I filled out the paperwork and I, I couldn't, I didn't even give them my real name. They probably thought I didn't know my name, but I did. I just like, I gave them sort of a felonious one. Like the psych ER, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but every time I've been in the US, it's basically just like windowless rooms in a hallway. So I thought it was kind of like an escape room. If I did the right things, I would escape reality, kind of. Which is sort of what happened, honestly, in a way. When I got taken in, they put me in a room. It's just got this, like, chair with restraints on it. They didn't restrain me yet, but uh, they gave me a urine sample cup. Because they, they want to be able to say, like, oh, you're on drugs or something. Mm -hmm. The cup that they gave me, it had this label, like, sticker label on the top of it that said, do not put your finger in this hole. Like, there's a little hole in the top of it where, I don't know why, but there's basically a needle sticking up from the hole where I guess they, like, plug it into something to take the urine sample. I don't know. But instead of peeing in the cup... I, and again, I thought I was like, you have to like transcend the things you're given. You know, you have to like yeah, interface with, yeah, bend the rules. You have to like interface with reality in a way that's going to like warp it and break it. And so I saw this sticker that said, don't put your finger in this hole. I said, I'm going to put my finger in that hole. <laughs> and I did. I pricked my finger. And I th so I thought that was like, oh, they're taking a blood sample. This is like secretly a blood test. Most people's I, blood is like piss, but you. <laughs> <laughs> My piss is like blood. Um, now, if if your piss is blood, get that checked out for sure. Definitely. Um, it's the best piece of yeah. medical advice this podcast yeah. ever given. <laughs> um, so I didn't pee in the cup. I just peed. They were like telling me to pee. So I just like peed on the floor in the corner. They were like, oh, we don't do that here in this very patronizing way. And then they were trying to, like, take things from me. Like, I still had my phone and stuff, I guess. So they were trying to get it from me, and they were like, where is it? I was, like, hiding it sort of on my chest in between my hands kind of conspicuously, but they still, like, it was really sort of dehumanizing. They kind of, like, strip-searched me, sort of. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they were all, like, like, three nurses were just, like, patting me down, like checking my 
groin, like everywhere. Like, where's my phone? Obviously, I'm fucking holding it. It was like, it felt like they were kind of like playing with me in a way. And then eventually I got kind of riled up and I was like, I'm, I know I'm going to the bathroom. I know my rights. I kept saying, I know my rights. I didn't. The other piece of advice that I could give is like, if you're in, you have your first episode, if you're in this kind of situation, research what those actually are because it's helped me in the future. But anyway, so I was like, I know my rights and everything, you know, help, help. I'm being oppressed. Kind of. I remember I was trying to go down the hallway to go to the bathroom, but they were actually, I thought I was going to the bathroom. They were taking me to a separate room. I tried, like I lunged for it. I tried to like open the bathroom door and go in there four to six security guards like pinned me down they pinned down every single part of my body that could move like they put me in a chokehold basically like they wrapped their legs around my legs my legs were totally locked they like locked my arms down my head and my neck and everything and I was still struggling and I just had this moment of sort of like the aliens were telling me like oh you have to let go of your physical body like you're not in control of it anymore and so I, I, I was like, all right, you know, I, I relaxed. And then they took me into another room that was just windowless room with a mattress on the floor. I, you know, I was like trying to calm down just on the mattress. The nurse and the security guards came in and they were like, okay, now do you want it in the arm or the leg? And that was like the most quintessential sort of metaphor for the American healthcare system, in my opinion, like, you have the choice. Do you want the heavy dose of antipsychotics in your arm or in your leg? And I said the leg, and they gave me a huge, like, huge dose of Haldol, which is very powerful antipsychotic. And I thought I was dying. Like, I thought, I literally thought I was dying. I remember sort of my awareness slipping away like as I was injected with it and I like I thought that what was happening was like oh I was escaping the room like I was gonna be shut down my physical body was gonna die and I was gonna wake up sort of in heaven and I remember seeing like my my entire vision when I closed my eyes was just like it went white like kind of like that that part in like the Matrix or like Lord of the Rings when Gandalf dies and then he goes to that plane where it's just like whiteness. It was like that. And then it started flashing colors. It would be like all green, all pink, all blue, sort of in sequence. And then I don't remember anything. And I woke up in a hospital bed, super drugged up. There was a nurse there who I thought was an angel and... They had me sign paperwork while I was like that, which I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, honestly, because there's part of me that wants to say that's unethical. There's another part of me that's like, well, what else? I don't know. You know, like once you're already in the system there, you know, they're going to do with you what they want. Kind of like you're not you're not in control anymore. So. I signed this paperwork that was basically like relinquishing all of my agency. And also it was like, it was like a medical disclosure form because my parents were there at this point at the hospital 
And so it was like a form that said, you know, they can like disclose things to them. So I signed that. My parents were there. I thought I was dead. Like I thought I was in heaven at like the in the alien intake into like alien intergalactic heaven. You know, I don't remember much from then, but then I remember they were taking me to inpatient, which, yeah, I got taken to Shepherd Pratt, which is like one of the oldest quote unquote mental health facilities in the United States. It used to be an asylum, like straight up. Um, so it kind of has that look to it. It's like, it almost looks like a castle. There's like a huge lawn and there's this like sort of Gothic architecture. It's very, very weird. But so I got taken there, uh, in the middle of the night. I I remember thinking the people in the ambulance were really cool and they were like helping me out. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was a lot less nice to the people in the ambulance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, I was definitely in the ER. I was like lashing out a lot. There, there was one point also in the ER that I kept taking my mattress and putting it up against the door as like a door. And then people would come in and I was like, M- mind the door, you know, like, please knock next time. Um, you just, you have no privacy when you're in there at all. Um, yeah. The bathrooms don't have locks kind of thing. Yeah, and we used that word earlier, dehumanizing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's all the things you've described since. It's comparable to jail in the sense of, like, you don't have control over your own, like, daily bodily things. You know, Mm. you can't go to the bathroom, at least in the ER. You cannot go to the bathroom when you just want to. You can't, like, go outside for a walk, you know, you're you're consigned there and that's really hard to deal with. I I remember like this was before I got taken to the ER. There was one point I just like broke down and I was really just sobbing, just confused, really upset. And there was one nurse there that was really nice. That was like, you know, my my son is dealing with something similar and like, you're going to get through it kind of thing. But it's, it's always those like sort of auxiliary people that are the most like, it 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 makes a lot of difference to have a couple people along the road of of being sectioned like see you as a human and and like speak to you that way you know so yeah the people in the ambulance were cool i got to the psych ward in the middle of the night and i was kind of like everyone else had been there for a while and like most of the other people that were there it was a it was a youth ward um so all people under 25 or something. I think I was the only one there that I remember for like mania and psychosis. So I was really like up, up, up. And a lot of other people were there cause they like tried to kill themselves. And so they, they were mm. like not picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like trying to sort of like I have, I'm trying to sort of like rile things up, like, you know, and that wasn't happening. And so it, it gradually set in on me that like, oh, this is over, you know. Um, mm. Had a, a psychiatrist who I remember like literally thinking that she was a reptile or something. Like she did not, she just had this sort of like dead, like vacant, very matter of fact way of telling me like, oh, you're here because there's something wrong with your brain. And they diagnosed me with bipolar one. Um, and then it's like, you know, that didn't make sense to me at the time. I was, I was very like resistant to that 
adapted to being diagnosed. And my parents even were. They were like, they're talking about how like symptomatically, quote unquote, I was sort of, you know, trying to like bend the rules of reality and whatnot. And then my mom was like, oh, no, that's just that's just Simon. Like what, you know. Yeah, that's funny. That's what your mom said, because that's exactly what my mom was saying. Today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like it's almost like you're you're yourself, but like a hyper intense mm-hmm. version of of that like perfect pearl of your like worldview kind of it's just like exploded everywhere i i didn't take it really seriously at the time i didn't really internalize it like oh this is this is part of the process right is they're gonna like you know they're gonna try to like discredit my revelations but yeah i really hated that psychiatrist (laughs) i i don't like thinking back on it i don't I don't know how much I want to like villainize her because she was probably probably like deals with this kind of shit all the time and is just like over it on some level. But she, but at, you know, I'm trying to empathize, I guess. But like, she was not really very warm or anything. It was like a very sort of cold, sterile waking up to like you know you're back to reality now. You have to stay here. This is your new regimen. You know, you got to take these pills. They they say when you're in the psych ward that you don't have to take the pills, but if you don't take the pills, you will stay there longer. Mm. And eventually, like, I, I was resistant for the first couple of days, and then I kind of realized, like, I have to play the game to get out. That's kind of like this... It's weird because my delusion was that it was like an escape room, right? But that's actually kind of what it is. Like, you have yeah. to kind of navigate their expectations of you and do what they want so that you can get discharged. So I was there for a couple of weeks. Most of the time was spent playing D&D, which was kind of cool actually. Like it was it was a bad time obviously overall, but like I did make some cool friends there. It was just totally a bizarre place to be like there were people who seemed like totally totally quote-unquote normal you know like totally totally fine there was this one girl who was like not to dehumanize her or anything but like there were straight up like demons in her body like she she reminded me of like or at least that you know it was scary honestly like being around other people like that she was she was like she reminded me of like something from from like the book beloved or like or kind of like a, a really overweight version of of the girl from from uh, The Exorcist, but like she would get out of bed. She was heavily drugged up all the time, but when she would like come out into the public area, it was like we had to like put our game pieces, like our dice and our pencils, away because she would come and like try to eat them. It was it was really bizarre, um, and it's. It's really like sobering and terrifying waking up in a place like that, like yeah. sort of being confused, like, why am I here, you know? Yeah, they're not safe places and they're not no. places where you would choose to get well. No, absolutely not. Like, just even like the design of the whole, the whole like edifice, the the campus there is like very deliberate, you know, you feel like sort of closed in 
And yeah, I just remember one time like talking to my parents and talking to my boss over the phone, just like sobbing, like you have to get me out of here. My parents and, and my girlfriend came and visited me every day and we would play board games. That was kind of nice. And I really like, I felt fortunate to have people like that in my life who were, who were there for me then when I really needed it. Um, that made it a lot easier. And, you know, the, the last week or so, I was just, like, totally sort of compliant. Like, you know, you wake up every day and it's not like, good morning. It's like, time to take your meds, time to do vitals. You know, you got to go and get your blood taken and all that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not a good place to be. I know some people find it helpful, and I think in a way... It was like what it was what sort of like consensusly people people like it's what needed to happen then you know but at the same time like I I think there's a lot that could be done differently but like really the the main therapeutic value of going to the psych ward for me is just basically that initial heavy dose of antipsychotics that just like makes you go to sleep and then you wake up and you're like get me the fuck out of here, you know? Um, yeah, desperate. Yeah. But then you're, then you're there and you can't get out because you just signed away all of your rights. Basically. I will say, I mean, this is sort of more relevant to a, a later episode that I had, but the most recent time uh, I was in the psych ward last year in the ER in New York city, this time, Maybe for another time, this story, but like quick synopsis, I thought I was a robot and they gave me this like pink piece of paper that has all of your legal rights and obligations on it. And when I thought I was a robot, I just, I literally ate it. I ate the piece of paper. What, and to then, digest the information? Yeah, that was, that was actually it. It was like, oh, I'm taking it in this way. Yeah, you know? it makes so sense. I, <laughs> I ate the piece of paper. And then the next day when I woke up, or like, I don't know, it's kind of timeless in there, right? Like, you don't know how much time is yeah. passing, at least in the ER. Like, when I woke up and I sort of came to a bit, I, was, I realized, like, fuck, I'm in the psych ward again, I need to get out. I asked them for another piece of paper. Like, I remembered, I remembered the pink slip, and I was like, give me another one of those. And they tried to deflect me. They were like, oh, well, you know, go and sit down, we'll give it to you in a couple of minutes, whatever. I just kept insisting it. And this one security guard was like, you realize yesterday you thought you were a robot, right? And I was just like, yes, and, you know, <laughs> like, I want, I want the piece of paper now. And so I got it and reading it, the only thing that it says you're still allowed to do is it says, if you or those acting on your behalf believe that you do not need immediate observation, care, and treatment, you may, um, you may make a written request for a court hearing. And I just kept, I kept approaching all of the nurses, all of the security guards, all of the doctors saying, I would like to make a written request for a court hearing. <laughs> I just kept saying that over and over and over again. They, I, they, they tried to deflect me. They kept trying to like get me to stop with that. But then eventually I just grabbed the phone and I was like, I'm going to call a lawyer. <laughs> and I, I don't have a lawyer but just making that threat, they immediately took me out of the ER, which is like windowless, up to a much nicer ward with a window and like your own room and everything. So I, I think I said this earlier, but just like for anyone 
dealing with this kind of shit, you can like the the only card I've ever played that worked in that situation is like the legal card, you know? Like they don't want to deal with that. So that that was helpful for me at least. But the first time I didn't know it was new to me. I didn't really know what was going on. So and do you want no one could explain to you what was going on either is the thing as well right that the people yeah. didn't tell you your rights no no or or when they did i was like heavily drugged up at least in my case um so it was kind of just like i found myself in this situation and i just had to deal with it it was really really shitty but I just, you know, you just have to, like, play the game to get out. You know, I did all the art therapy. They make you, like, you know, they want you to, like, draw how you're feeling and stuff like that. And I, I remember I drew this, like, apocalyptic World War One like, gas mask thing happening. <laughs> like, um, what did they think of that? Uh, I showed it to the psychiatrist. She was not into it. And I also showed her this, the like, when, yeah, yeah, the reptile woman. Uh I also showed her this like rendition of this like psychotic messiah alter ego that I had made of myself. Um, and she was not into that either. It was like there was the art therapy thing is weird because like you want to like actually interface with the with the art that you're making there. Like but but no people they just they they want like the, the ones that they put up on the wall are like the nice little vision board collages, you know. Um, so yeah, it was, it was wild, but I got out. I, I think I had this, I don't know if I could do it again, I would have taken some serious time off school and time off work, but I went right back to work and I stayed in school and I finished in four years, which like people, people tell me like, oh, you're so strong for that. But honestly, I think that was just me like not really dealing with it. Like. I just went right back into having having something to occupy myself with. I, I wasn't like dealing with any of the latent stuff. But when I when I got back to work, like I was making copies all summer. I'm fortunate, I guess, that they still like made a place for me at all. But it's all mental health awareness until this shit actually happens, and then you're like printer bitch, you know. That is like one of my main reservations with sort of like corporate i've had other jobs in the past where it's like we do a very sort of woke mental health training thing and i just leave the room because it's like you're gonna you're gonna call the cops if this happens in real life so don't act like this is you know what I mean? Who's, whose benefit is this for? There was one job where where we did like a psychosis simulation where like they had people whisper into your ear while you're talking and it's like honestly who is that for you know it's not really helpful um it's really frustrating and like you know just coming back out from the psych ward like integrating back into the world i just had this very palpable sense of like people are afraid of me now like people are not even my own parents and my close friends are not regarding me the same way as I, as they were like, suddenly you become something to be managed. Yeah. And everybody knows what's best for you. Yeah. Except you, right? 
you know, yeah. everyone else. Like, it's just like the ultimate sort of 180. Like, you think everything is, at least, at least in like my, my psychosis has only been like very euphoric. So it's like you go from, from feeling like you figured it out just right like smacked right down into the most sort of like dependent position of your life you know and that was really hard especially because like this new job that i had you know this was junior between junior and senior year of college at the time i i wanted to stay in baltimore and do work like that so i was thinking oh you know this I was really excited about this job because it's like this could become a career kind of thing. That wasn't happening anymore, you know. They kept me on as printer bitch for the summer, but I'm not going to stick around there because like it reminds me too much of everything. It's been very difficult to like build something new coming out of that, you know, you kind of have to like pick up the pieces and move on. It's hard to do that right away, you know. It's taken like a lot of yeah. just like time and distance from it, you know. Yeah, I think time is the almost boring <laughs> answer yeah. to a lot of things, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the passing of time has a tendency to change things, at least, if not heal them. Yeah, or or at least just like get enough distance between you, where you are now, and where you were then, and relieve a little bit of that like pressure. It's just hard because like when you're in that, when you're like thrust into that sort of mental health world, there's like an immediacy to all of it. This is all sort of very imminent and happening to you. And you want to like be able to, you just feel totally powerless, I guess is the thing. Mm. I, I used to, I used to think I was like in control of my life in some ways, you know, I used to feel like I, yeah, I mean, I, I used to feel like things made sense, you know, and then suddenly you, your perspective gets ripped right out from what you think, you know, and obliterated and that's that's why i think the apocalypse metaphor is like very apt um yeah like i've always felt it's like grief in a way like it's not as simple as it's like depression or something it's a process of grieving almost for yeah. what like all those possibilities you thought yeah were real and that person that you thought you'd become and Right. The relationships that have changed. There there is almost like something that, that like dies and then you have to yeah. you have to sort of mourn it a little bit. And that's also been one of the most difficult things coming out of these episodes is like thinking back on it, how much do I wanna keep? How much do I wanna just let time wash away? How much do I wanna forget about? Yeah, what pieces of that do I want to keep and carry with me and like inform a new perspective on things? It's it's difficult to sort of be selective in that way and like you know, yeah, it is just it is like grief over feeling like you've finally figured it out and then you're actually like as far away from figuring it out as you could be, you know. But the cycle continues. <laughs> Is that your way of trying to end it on a positive <laughs> note? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I would think that would be a negative note, if anything. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I don't know. I again, I, I don't want to, like, I don't want to come across at all like I, any sort of uh, 
authority on any of this because like you know i find this whole idea of like recovery very strange like oh go on and let's end on on a good yeah. old-fashioned <laughs> recovery yes chat. let's do what, some recovery porn here you know what's your um what's your problem with recovery surely well, it's like, like a really good thing that people just get better and work no, sets them free or absolutely yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, work sets you free. Um, well, I mean, so like, I'm, I'm happy for people that have recovered, you know, like even people, you know, people on social media or whatever, like just in their life or like, oh, you know, I used to have depression and now I'm, now I'm like, I navigated that and here I am and like, I'm still alive and I feel, you know, like good, good for you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but at the same time, like. To me, this whole this whole thing has not been like a discrete one or the other. You're healthier or you're not type thing. Mm -hmm. It's like this is this is like become my life in a way that I don't really like. Like um, since I had this first experience when I was twenty, pretty much every summer I've had another episode. This summer so far, thank God I have not, um, and I feel really good about that. It's almost. It's almost the end of technically summer. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to like recovery that's very loaded. Like yeah, people, it's a political thing. Yeah. Recovery means you're able to hold it. You're in the job market again. That's what it means. So to that extent, I have recovered, you know, like I have a stable job now. Um, but things are still very difficult, you know, and there's still, there's still like, like I want to be able to say publicly to people, Oh, remember when I was like going crazy on the internet and you last saw me? Well, I'm good now. You know, I want to be able to say that to those people, but I can't because I don't know if I'm out of the woods yet and I don't really want to call any more attention to it. Mm. So yeah, I feel like the fact that you feel like you need to say that to people, though, is almost like the dark side of recovery, isn't it? That like, you shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. You shouldn't be measured by what other people think of, of like whether you're mad or well or whatever, right? Yeah, but it's it's even like, even if, even if, like, let's say best of best of all possible outcomes here, like, even if those people aren't just judging you for it, you know? Mm. you still have this idea of what they saw, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that haunts you, like, because you can't take that back. Um, and so, yeah, as much as I would like to to say, like, hey, remember that? We're, we're done. We're past it, you know? I don't, I don't want to, like, ruin my credibility any further by saying that and then just freaking the fuck out again. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately there's a sort of like larger social and, and political crisis that's like informing a lot of a lot of people just like losing it you know hmm. and that's you know not really it's not really looked at that way yeah because like because the sort of hegemonic paradigm is like well you got to get back to work if you're if you're productive mm -hmm. and you're living your life you're living your best life you know, then you're fine. 
what does that mean? That means you, that means you go to work. That means you like, you do everything you need to do. And people, I think, have this idea that like life is about being happy and like achieving happiness. And that's probably like the best, most sane thing you can do for yourself. I was just thinking it's the biggest delusion. Yeah, but at the same time, that's, that's exactly where I was going is at the same time, that's the delusion that is healthy to choose to believe. And if you have a different delusion about what life is about, you get taken to crazy jail. <laughs> um, and so like, and so that's why, you know, not just recovery, but like this idea of self care as like, you know, giving yourself a bubble bath and like saying affirmations and like being happy and being ener like having channeling your energy and things like that. That's not really coherent with reality of mental health stuff that I've experienced. Like, yeah, I think, I think it's important to like sit with, the aspects of it that suck, you know, and that are not, and I don't mean dwell on it, but like, but you can't just be happy and yeah. wish it away, sort of. It doesn't, you can't it just doesn't, bubble bath, yeah, like people's no. struggle away. No, no. Um, you can't like medicate it away either. I mean, in my opinion, like, there's you, you know, we in Western medicine, we want to like treat the symptom, but is the illness like in your brain or is it just like, you know, maybe we, I, I end with the note of a, a healthy dollop of, you know, I'm not crazy. Society's crazy. Um, yeah, that's, but that's how it feels is like, you know, I just feel sort of like ostracized on some level. Like I, I'm not a part of all this, you know, I don't really want to. Yeah. Be. And there are worse places to be than part yeah. of this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the most sane thing you can do is just like try to shut it out and, you know, try to be happy. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not saying that at all with like judgment or anything. Like, I would like to get there myself someday, you know, but at the same time, like, there is something very real to what happens um, that I don't think you can overlook really like just as a fluke yeah totally i think it's like an inherently meaningful thing for people and then it just gets bubble bathed away yeah without ever really getting to explore it yeah no and that's i mean if i could like envision the perfect response to this it, it'd sound like exactly what what the the woman in the third episode did where she just went to the woods with her family and ran around barefoot for a while like that would be ideal i mean i've thought even about like what would it look like to open up a facility like that you know like like a place that you you bill it as like a sort of psychosis retreat without all of the sort of clinical stuff that gets associated with that that would never be legal though <laughs> that would not be legal you've seen breaking bad of course yeah you know when uh, they take Jesse off to recover, and it's in like in the middle of the desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, how I've always yeah. imagined it. Okay, like a sort of uh, walkabout type thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, stranded in the desert with a knife and your wits, you know. And like, you know, the part of the reason why they want to put you in a hospital is because they want you out of society. Right. 
and actually like i i do want to go i want to break from society that's a lot of the reason Absolutely. why these things happen is like i can't take this shit yeah but but the psych word is like the psych word is like you're you're not in society for everybody else but for you you're still very much like hyper in society yeah. like you're you're locked in you know to this weird like sort of hyper normalized version of of being alive you know but yeah i mean go out into the woods and frolic and sing and whatnot you know let's leave it there then that's good let's advice. leave it there yeah this has nothing to do with coffee